today on Ag News Daily. I think we've settled in on the crop was, you know, not as good as we thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year, uh, but good enough, you know, and, and we've all dialed in, uh, you know, these spreadsheets. So I, I just don't think the USDA or, or anyone else is going to give us, you know, uh, a, a catalyst here until we start really focusing on Brazil, which is really becoming the most important. Well, here we are on Halloween Eve. Is that what you call the day before Halloween, Delaney? Mm, that's a good one. I'm not sure I know the answer to that. All I know is I am not looking forward to trick-or-treating on Halloween in Iowa because it is not going to be a pleasant evening. No, it's going to be quite cold. Maybe some snow for some of our folks to the north western part of the state. But I tell you what, Tanner, we were in Colorado over the weekend just for a last minute little post-harvest celebration trip. And I think Denver got six or seven inches of snow. So that was real fun to drive through to the airport. And I'm guessing some of that might be coming here for the Midwest, the rest of the Midwest. Yeah, hopefully we can get past that. Of course, we know that that snow accompanied cold in a lot of the northern plains. Breezing temperatures continue to finish out the final days of October and first part of November. We did see temperatures crash to a winter level last week. We do have a couple more days of that here. Cold and snow has been pushed out of the Pacific Northwest and the northern Rockies into the northern plains by the end of the week. Several inches did fall in North Dakota and Minnesota, as well as Colorado, like you just described. Hopefully, as we get here, though, to the first part of November, we see temperatures start to trickle upwards. The cold will hit southern regions a little bit further. Texas might have a freeze warning coming in. But the biggest benefit this will bring to those folks in the southern region is the front should move through and bring precipitation. More rainfall should hit there the first week of November and help with some of those drought conditions themselves. Right now, the drought monitor says 68% of Louisiana and a large portion of the Mississippi River area still in drought conditions. So we'll see if we can get some rain in those much needed areas. Absolutely. But nonetheless, even with uh, lack of rainfall or snowfall in some areas, we are starting to see the peak here of some winter wheat as it's starting to emerge across our top 18 growing winter wheat states. As we saw that report come out last week, we'll see another update here today, Tanner. But we do finally have some good emergence coming through in Nebraska, Arkansas, Missouri, North Carolina, California, and a few of the other top states. But we saw wheat emergence now is right on track for years prior. And nationally, about 53% of the winter wheat crop has emerged. This is ahead of last year's average and the five-year average nonetheless. But I'm guessing those cold conditions uh, will certainly impact some of the winter wheat conditions and progress we continue to see. Yeah, I do think it'll be an interesting report to see how things progressed as we take a look. There are progressions in a couple of strike talks. General Motors has reached a tentative deal with United Auto Workers to end their strike. According to sources, the tentative agreement must be ratified by union members at each of the respective car makers. And the strike, though, could end. That has lasted nearly a month. The tentative agreement struck with Ford called for roughly 25% raise over the next four years. 
as well as additional other benefits. Automakers expressed reluctance to meet the demands of those striking, but have made some progress. We also saw an update uh, around strike in the northern portion, along with our friends in Canada, around 360 workers in Ontario and Quebec and Unifor, Canada's largest private sector union, walked out on October 22nd in dispute over wages from the St. Lawrence Seaway Management Corp. But as of 15 minutes ago, a deal has been reached to end that week-long strike that shut down major shipping arteries in the Great Lakes, halting the flow of grain and other goods from the U.S. and Canada as those announcements were made. The mayor, Bill Steele, stated that the impact for Western New York was going to be extremely huge as far as global trade progressions went. Seaway Management said ships will start moving again when employees return to work on Monday. The union will vote to ratify their deal this week as well, but it sure sounds like a lot of workers going back to work this week, Delaney. Yeah, it certainly did. And this strike going on in Canada in the St. Lawrence Seaway is the first strike-related issue that we've seen mid-season, which caused the closure of the St. Lawrence Seaway. This is the first time this has happened since June of 1968, Tanner, and we don't have official details yet about the tentative agreement. They said that they will share that once it becomes public for the folks, the union workers in agreement, and once an agreement has been ratified. But a vote will be coming any day now, so we should hear more public details about that union strike here in the near future. Switching tracks, Tanner, to the another place we might be seeing some negotiations going on is the Farm Bill. Uh, over the weekend, we saw 61 House Republicans called on Speaker Mike Johnson for a speedy passage of a new Farm Bill, despite bad outlook for legislation on the Farm Bill. They said, of course, this is something we need to begin negotiations on as soon as possible with the Senate on a final version of the bill. But some analysts are saying that because of this political dysfunction we've seen and a pretty stable, healthy ag economy, it's creating a real lack of urgency for any sort of farm bill, even passing in 2024. According to the latest Ag Economist Monthly monitor survey with more than 60 ag economists surveyed across the country, they said this group collectively said that they're not optimistic about getting a farm bill even in 2024. And some are suspecting it's going to take another good 18 to 24 months, Tanner, and creep into 2025 before we see some sort of finalized farm bill. Yeah, you're exactly right. They were looking at their last month's results Economists said that the 2023 net farm income is to top $140 billion, while forecasting 2024 will be just over $130 billion. This is considered to be above average. It's not a disaster, but it is down and may feel like it to farmers from the record 2022 level of $183 billion. Economists are saying it's almost impossible to repeat 2022. So, of course, we're going to continue to see some comparisons there, as well as those that are continuing to lobby for some urgency in the farm bill. Of course, 2024 is going to be focused on an election, which could also 
draw that out a little bit. I've just got a couple of quick headlines to wrap up my news for today. Some veterinary researchers are testing for COVID-19 in wildlife. They're soon beginning to test out of Oregon State University 1,600 wild animal specimens for the virus. Researchers from the Carlson College of Veterinary Medicine want to learn if the animals can harbor the disease and transmit it, as well as also seeing if there's urgency for that to continue to spread. My last update is for what's happening in Gaza right now. The crisis is looking to be a long road ahead of them. Israel's prime minister said they made it very clear today Israel would not agree to a ceasefire, that this is a war. Their military killed dozens of Hamas fighters overnight and struck targets in northern Gaza as part of its expanded ground operations. This is now uh, two miles deep into the strip where troops have showed and taken positions atop buildings. The UN warned that there's a civil order in place due to the deteriorating conditions in Gaza for those residences. People are now breaking into warehouses and taking survival essentials because they don't expect humanitarian efforts to come anytime soon. Hamas have released a video showing three women who are believed to be captives held since the original October 7th, stating that they have not dismissed the opportunity for hostage negotiations, but unfortunately, it doesn't seem like both parties are on the same side. That's what I've got for news today, Delaney. Well, I have just one final headline here before we chat markets, and that is uh, going back here to the 2024 election. Tanner, we are well underway for election season, and President Biden has announced a new plan, which he's calling Barnstorm Across Rural America, to share what he's saying are endless opportunities for the rural constituents that he works with. With the election just over a year away, the White House on Sunday announced more than a dozen trips to rural America, which President Biden will be in attendance at, as well as Secretary Vilsack and a slew of other administration officials. The administration said they used to, or plan to use these trips to tout investments in rural areas through climate-smart agriculture, rural infrastructure, and a pro-competition agenda, among other priorities. Of course, this is also coming as House Republicans are targeting the Inflation Reduction Act's $20 billion investment in climate smart agriculture and trying to use that those dollars to reallocate toward a farm bill and other programs. But it'll be interesting here, Tanner, to see what kind of uh, what kind of feedback and information he gets from folks in rural America as he visits those multiple locations there, uh, the first of which I believe will be heading the National FFA Convention, which is going on this week in Indianapolis. So that is yeah. the last headline I have for today, aside from taking a look here at the markets. Where did they close? Well, as we take a look here at the close on Monday afternoon, markets traded lower, pushing lower in the overnights and followed through in that action here through to the closing bell. December corn today down two and a half cents at 478 and a quarter. New crop beans shed 14 and a half cents at 1282 and three quarters. Chicago December wheat today down nine and a half cents at 566. December hard red winter wheat, the only market here to 
clawed its way slightly higher, adding two pennies to close at 645. And December spring wheat shed two pennies to close at 717 and three quarters. In the livestock pits, they had the opposite story today as the December live cattle contract added a dollar oh two and a half to close at a buck eighty-three twenty-five. November feeder cattle added 77.5 cents as it heads into expiration, closing at 237.67. And December lean hogs added 70 cents today, closing out the day at 71.17 and a half. To chat about market prices and other dynamics impacting commodities is Sean Hackett. So let's turn it over to that conversation with Sean. Well, folks, super excited today to be chatting markets with Sean Hackett of Hackett Financial Advisors. Sean, how is harvest wrapping up for your growers you work with? Um, it's a little slow here at the end with some of the rains that we've had, um, but overall, you know, most should get done in time. Uh, once again, wild variability in yield outcomes, which means we're, we're going to be guessing on this actual crop size well into the new year. Um typically how these play out. So I'm not sure there's going to be much more market movement on USDA reports until we get further along and they can put some test weights, you know, to the data that kind of settles the score. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so with that being said, Sean, do you think we remain range bound here for corn and soybeans until we get some fresh market data or weights, as you mentioned there? I think until we start really thinking about production, uh, production potential out of South America, you know, that's usually starts late November and then once we move into December, it's like our June for, you know, a lot of areas. Uh, I, I think it's going to take until then to kind of get the market excited about some new fundamental. I think we've traded the U.S. crop production potential already. What I'm seeing, I'm really worried about northern half of Brazil, hot and dry pattern kind of continuing into the winter months and into the spring. I think we could have a lot of... Um, of a weather premium that has to be put in something we did not get last year, which was all about Argentina. But we think it's going to flip to Brazil. So I think we could be range bound for a little while longer, but then I think some fireworks could start showing themselves to the upside here in December. So that's interesting that you state it's probably already traded out the U S crop itself. Is there any U S news that could flip that script and kick us out of this range? Outside of some very like large, unusual Chinese demand, I don't think so. I think we've settled in on the crop was you know not as good as we thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year, uh, but good enough, you know. And and we've all dialed in, uh, you know, these spreadsheets. And I, I just don't think the USDA or or anyone else is going to give us, you know, uh, a, a catalyst here until we start really focusing on Brazil, which is really becoming the most important. Uh, grain producer in the world uh, year in and year out that they seem to be becoming more important than even we are. So, yeah. And Sean, I know you pay a lot of attention to the South American markets, specifically as it relates to weather and money flow and a few other factors as it sits today. What are you watching most closely when it comes to the South American crop and how that's going to impact domestic prices here? Well, what I'm seeing is I'm seeing a, the weakest, uh, Amazon monsoon season we've seen in since 1980, meaning we're off to the slowest monsoon start um, in recent memory. That monsoon is what flows into Mato Grosso, the northern half of Brazil, 
which represents 75% of corn production and about 60% of soybean production. Um, I'm also expecting to see what's called an El Nino Motokai to develop, which is where you get the warm sea surface temperatures of the Pacific concentrated in the center and cooler to the east. And when you get that, your walker cycle reverses and pulls moisture away from that northern, western, northern half of Brazil and exacerbates the situation, especially for second crop corn. Just to give an example, the last three times we had an El Nino Mordecai develop, on average, corn production in its entirety in Brazil was down between 15 and 20 percent from the year before. You know, that would be very material because if we lose all that production that would be going for exports, then the U.S. becomes the number one spot for you know, exports of corn. And then we start getting a bid that the market's not anticipating right now. And those in that two point two billion bushel carryout uh, expectation might have to be reduced if we start seeing better demand over the first half of 24. I love this, Delaney. It's uh, almost like an Eric Snodgrass 2.0, giving us some extra <laughs> weather coming out of Brazil and South America. So that's just a uh, really good perspective. I know not to just jump around on topics, but a lot of the reporting we've done the last couple of weeks is obviously has to do with uh, the Gaza region with between Israel and Hamas. What other types of foreign relations do we need to keep an eye on that might affect markets either grains maybe fertilizers all around well i mean i think right now with the escalation of the middle east it really is a is a focus for energy um so far it's been contained to gaza but you know if we were to see any any extrapolation of that into iran into iraq into saudi arabia where we would see either either the restriction of energy supplies coming out of the region or damage done to infrastructure like a few years back that we had the, the bombing of the Saudi Arabia refineries that created a big upsurge for a little while. We really need to be on the lookout for some escalation that takes a very, very important energy producing exporting area of, of the world and takes it somewhat offline. That would have profound implications, obviously, for diesel, heating oil, uh, natural gas prices, potentially fertilizer prices, which feed off of that. It would really, you know, really would feed into all of that. And I am expecting a, a much colder northern hemisphere winter. So the warm winter that bailed an energy crisis out from Europe uh, last year, I, I don't think we're going to see that. I think we're going to have much higher demand for energy this coming cycle. And that if, if that happens at a time of some escalation of Middle East to restricting supplies or hurting infrastructure, that we really could have energy be the, uh, a significant upside catalyst over the winter months. Mm. Sean, as you also look at other energies, soybean oil has seen a lot of pressure as well here. But then on the flip side of that, the bean meal has been really explosive here as of lately. How are those two competing factors going to play out here for soybeans? Well, Argentina had a half a crop last year and they're the number one exporter of meal. So we have a very, very short meal market right now. All the uh, destination countries that would be buying from Argentina are buying from us. So we have very strong meal exports. Just to give you an idea, you know, we have record crush and we can't produce enough meal. You know, we're actually seeing the nearby meal prices gaining on the deferred, showing us some severe supply pinch. What does that mean? It means we're producing maximum amount of meal 
But the flip side of that means that we're producing oil that we may or may not need. And looking at the spread relationship between meal and oil, oil is getting more than it needs and meal can't get enough of that. It's almost a total role reversal of what we saw about a year and a half ago when it was exactly opposite. We were crushing, you know, soybeans for oil and we were producing too much meal until fresh supplies come in from Argentina that are back to normal, which really wouldn't occur until the second quarter of 24. I think meal is going to be the driver of the soybean complex and oil is going to be sort of the, um, you know, kind of on the wrong side of that spread trade. Yeah, it is. Seems like we're in such an interesting market here as you look all across commodities and the byproducts that comes from when our producers get those processed. What about on the protein side when we look at livestock? We saw, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, quite a bit of a slide last week. What do we think is in store this week? The problem, if we're talking about the hog market, for example, you know, we have we have poor cutout prices back to December 2020 levels. I mean, that's just that's unbelievable to really think about what what price do you know is back to where we were in December of 2020. We need to get demand back, uh, you know, in our in our you know pork market in our hog market to get uh, the processors wanting to you know bring that those animals through and, and to the other side. And of course, this California dislocation with the treatment of animals and not importing from areas that don't handle their animals correctly according to them it's a real problem so we need to see you know mexico buy even more than they already have we're trying to come back to the equation but i'd really you really have to pay attention to the pork cutout price in terms of uh, the beef you know the cattle we probably had one of the most bearish cattle on feed reports i can recall in quite a long time uh you know, show me put a lot of, uh, you know, placed a lot of animals on feed. We have a lot of cattle on feed and our marketings were really low. And so that's telling you we might finally be seeing these high prices push back on consumer demand. The beef cutout price has been down for almost two months now straight. Um, and I think we're just looking at where we're at. That correction probably has further to go before we might, you know, get ourselves into a, a, a tight situation again. Um, in the back half of 24. But for now, we think bounces in the cattle market. If you're a cattle producer, I think you need to be locking those prices in and making sure you protect those margins going into the spring. Fantastic, Sean. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. But if any of our listeners want to pick your brain about markets further, what's the best place to find you? Um, we have a website, Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We also have a Twitter page, at Faradex 11. We have stuff on there that we put out there from time to time. We have sample reports. And of course, they can always give us a call. We'd love to talk to them about how we look at things to see if what we do might be of value to those that listen and watch your show. Fantastic, Sean. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Certainly appreciate your insight. Thanks, Delaney. Always a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you here probably in a few weeks. So, Well, Delaney, I love how we get so many different perspectives on the markets from all of our connections and friends here to Ag News Daily. It gives a great, well-rounded approach for our listeners. So thanks again for Sean hanging out with us listeners. Thank you for hanging out. We'll be back again with more shows the rest of the week, right Delaney? Absolutely. We've got a great lineup plan this week, Tanner. So folks stay tuned for that or follow us on social media at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you're missing us in between each show. But with that, Tanner, should we let the folks go? Let's let them go.